The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Great to see you here. We're starting our study, or we're wrapping up chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll be in verse 26 and following. And as I studied this week and thought about what Paul's saying, I, I thought, what if, what if our church had a community group? You know, everyone in our church is in a small group. All the members are in a small group. And what if one of those small groups had just an incredible year this year. I mean, they're like killing it. They're like, man, this is awesome. Our discussion is so rich. God is doing great things in our, in our small group. And that kind of got carried away that they started saying, and we are the best group in this church. And matter of fact, we're better than all the other groups. And they really do begin to develop this sense of, spiritual pride or elitism or arrogance and it's it starts to just really be known in the church this this group thinks they're all that and then when we gather together imagine the impact that has on the body when we gather together and let's just say that they've gotten carried away and they really think they're all that and they start showing out in the service you know like hey pastor i think the better way to understand this passage is this. Or, hey, you know, this week we were studying this passage, and here's what we think. And then Claude's over there going, hey, wait a minute, I'm an elder here. And then Jared says, well, I'm on staff. And, and it just gets a little crazy in here. That's kind of what was going on in Corinth, that there was this spiritual elitism uh, it seems to be that they're having some uh, spiritual uh, ecstatic experiences that, that made them feel like, hey, we are better than the rest. In fact, they probably are challenging Paul's authority. And so Paul's kind of doing two things. He's kind of throughout this letter has been defending his own authority as apostle chosen by Jesus. But he's also trying to give instruction, loving instructions on how the church should behave, and we've been seeing them issue uh, cons- or, or address issue after issue. Now, sometimes when you go slowly through the Bible, you can miss uh, miss the bigger picture. And so, I, I like to stop every now and then and remind us: if you look at the tagline under First Corinthians, seeing every part of life through the gospel. We don't want to lose the gospel in the middle of addressing all these narrow issues that were going on because. It's the gospel that Paul is bringing to bear on all these issues. And we need to remember that, that the gospel puts us on the same level playing field. Because the gospel says all of us, not only just do we commit sins, that's not the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is the sinful heart and the committing of sins are just a fruit of that. It's just evidence of that. And so we all have the same heart problem. We all have, have a a heart that is broken, that is sinful when we are, we are growing up and we, we show it when, our, when we sin with our actions. And we, what the Bible, what the gospel, the good news reveals is that God will give us credit for Jesus' perfection and he'll heal our heart because of Jesus. And so once we grasp that and we enter into a faith relationship with Jesus, when we trust Jesus as the sole healer of our hearts, the one who gives us a heart of faith and a new heart that wants to obey God and one day will fully obey him, 
it puts us on the same playing field because we all know we're all sinners. We all know that any one of us is here. The only reason why we have any hope, the only reason why we aren't sinning constantly is because God graciously gave us Christ. And so then for someone to come in uh, with some kind of spiritual elitism, we just go back to the gospel and go, all right, really, bro? If anything good's happening in your group, it's because of God's grace. There's no room for bragging. And that's what Paul's been doing with every step of the way. Every problem is saying, let's apply the gospel to this and let's see how the gospel causes us to think differently about these problems and what's going on in the church. And so today he's going to say, the the title of this message is Gathering for the Good. He's going to say, when you gather together, there's three crucial elements that need to be present for the gathering to be for the good of the people. Look at verse 26. He says, what then, brothers, when you come together and each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, he says, here's the point. Let all things be done for building up. He says, when you get together, the guiding principle, the goal of your gathering should be this should build up the body. And what he's been saying in chapter 14 and in chapter 11 is if anything is competing with that, if anything is hindering that, then we need to address it. Because Christ saves us, calls us together to build us up, and that's why we gather together. And those three crucial components that need to be in the gathering are this, peace, respect, and humility. Peace, respect, and humility are the three crucial components that we need to have when we gather for it to be a helpful gathering for the good of the body. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as we study the scriptures that you've provided for us for our upbuilding, you have spoken to us through your word. And we pray that by your spirit, we will heed your message And that as a result of our time together, that you will produce within us, that you will give us the fruit of the Spirit, that you will make us a people of peace, a people of respect, and a people of humility, so that when we gather together, that you are encouraging all, that you are building us up into your image for your own glory. This is only possible by your grace as we seek to obey you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so peace, respect, and humility are what we need to see. I get this beginning in verse 27. He says, in order for there to be edification when you get together, there's got to be peace. Look at verse 27. He says, if anyone speak in a tongue, let there only be two, or at the most three, and each of them in turn. Oh, and let someone interpret. But if there, is no one, if there is no one to interpret, then let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and, and to God. And let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. And if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn And all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, 
but a God of peace. So let's stop there. So what, what, what is Paul saying here? What kind of scene can you tell Paul is addressing when he's addressing this issue? What do you think is going on at Corinth? Is it a nice, calm little gathering? And, and no, it's this, this people are going crazy. He's like, this is crazy. You can't act like this. He's like, the whole point of why we're gathering together is to build everyone up. And, and if we're gathering together to build everyone up, then we got to get some peace around here. And, and there's different understandings of the word peace. Peace can mean the lack of conflict, like countries or nations being at war and saying, okay, no more war, there's peace. Or in our personal relationships, when there's no conflict, there's peace. Or there's a kind of a personal state of well-being that we can call, you know, I'm at peace. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is referring to the peace that is the absence of, of, of chaos, He says, God is not a God of confusion or a God of chaos. He is a God of peace. Therefore, when a people that are living by his spirit, that should be reflected, that there should be peace or the opposite of chaos. There should be be orderly gatherings when the people of God gather together. It shouldn't be chaotic because that's unhelpful. That doesn't build up. Now, when I think about this, I think, okay, I don't really feel like a big need to address this as a concern in our church when I think about the large group gathering in our church. Now, I don't get outside our church much on Sunday mornings. I am aware that I hear from others that there are some gatherings where it can be a bit chaotic and distracting, that maybe this is more helpful to say, hey, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14 and order our gatherings in a way that honors the Lord. But for us, I I kept coming back to community groups for us. All throughout this text, I kind of kept going, well, this is is interesting or helpful for me as I think about our community groups. And when I think about how to apply this text, and I kind of think about the linchpin uh, that kind of opens all this up, it was this idea of remembering what we saw about prophecy versus tongues. Prophecy, the direction of prophecy, was from God, to man, the word of God coming to man as opposed to tongues, which was more of praise or proclamation of the mighty works of God to God. And so when we think about this fact that God has spoken, that should affect how we think when we gather and how we order ourselves and how we behave when we gather. So let me just challenge you to think about this. Imagine... Put your imagination on Jesus just walked into this gathering and he sits or he stands up here. What's the first thing that's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm getting off stage and I'm sitting down and I'm getting my notebook out. Jesus is here to speak to you and to me. And he starts giving incredibly profound instruction and wisdom. And he's just, opening your hearts and your minds. And this is what happens. Order and peace. God is speaking. And we want to hear what God has to say. And then imagine we all go home and you wake up in the morning or maybe it's the evening for you. For me, it's in the morning in the hearth room. There's a chair 
where I sit to have my quiet time. And imagine I wake up and right in that chair is Jesus. And I'm like, okay, can I get my cup of coffee first? And he's like, go ahead, get your coffee. So I'm going to get my coffee and I'm going to sit down and I'm listening and I'm listening intently. And, and he's at all of your homes. And he's talking about what he was talking about in here this morning. And he's saying, let's go a little deeper. He said, remember in verse 27 when I said this? He says, well, think about that. And think about what that means. And think about how this applies in your life. And I want to challenge you, Tracy, that today when you go to work, this is how I want to see you obey me in this area. And he's just lighting me up with, with instruction. And he's doing it to you, and he's doing it to you, and he's doing it to you. And all week, each one of us in our, in our private lives are, are just soaking up the word that Jesus is saying to us. And we're blowing up each other's texts. You're not going to believe this. Jesus spoke to me this morning. And he told me this. Oh my gosh, me too. Let me tell you what he told me. And the excitement is building throughout the week. And we can't wait to get together. We, Wednesday night for me at 6.30 can't get there soon enough. And when we get there, it is, it is the idea of the spirit of the gathering is God has spoken. I can't wait to hear what God has said to you all because I know this is going to be good because God has spoken to us. And now if that's our gathering, if that's the idea, the spirit behind our gathering and, and the 12 of us gather together at the home, we sit down and, and everybody just starts talking. Well, God, Jesus said this or Jesus said that. Jesus said that. I'm going to say, hold on. I don't want to miss anything. Let's take turns. And the facilitator, the small group leader, it just facilitates. Okay, let's, let's just read through this text and then let's take turns hearing what God said to you through this text this week. Okay, in verse 27 he said this, what did you get from that? And then someone in my small group says, well, this is what he said to me. And this is powerful because this is... Where I, what I'm going through, and man, that encouraged me. Someone says, oh yeah, well, here's, I was so challenged by this. And we are just carefully listening to what God, the source of this message, has said to us. And we are listening and growing and learning and worshiping. And then we just naturally go, let's pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for challenging Tracy. Thank you for encouraging Dana. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, help us live this out. It changes everything to think that God has spoken. And you know what? God has spoken through Jesus and his word. And he's filled each one of us with his spirit because when we read the word of God, it is not just an academic exercise similar or the same as reading a history book or a science book. It's not less than that. We use our brains and we use reason, but there is a spiritual dimension that the spirit of God must open our hearts and mind, must overcome the sinful barriers to his message, give us faith and understanding and enlightenment and illumination, and it carries the authority of God. God 
has spoken to you. And so you come to group to learn what God has said to your fellow believers and to share what God has said to you to your, so that your fellow believers can share in that. And so with that in mind, whether it's this large group gathering, whether it's the core class, or whether it's the community group, or whether it's a cohort, whatever gathering it is, if we gather with the understanding that we gather together so that we can hear what God has said through his word to us for the sake of encouraging each other to obey, we understand his command. Let there be order. Let there be peace that comes from order so that we can all hear and understand. And if we can't hear and can't understand, then gathering together is pointless. Because it's not about showing each other how smart we are. It's not about hearing your opinion. It's not about you coming to hear my opinion or some human advice. That's not what this is about. That's not what those small group gatherings are about. That's not what core class or cohort about. It is about hearing from God. And when God speaks, we need to listen. And we need to seek to be orderly so we can understand, so we can apply what God has said. So what, what that means for our small groups is there needs to be order. There needs to be, and I think that naturally happens. I think the biggest application is understanding God has spoken, and that's why we're getting together. And when we understand that, we gather together knowing verse 31, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And what we're learning and what we're being encouraged by is what God has taught each person from their time listening to the Lord during the week. So let there be order centered around the purpose of hearing what God has said so that we may all learn and be encouraged and built up. Not only should there be order, but there should also be peace. This is what he says in verse 33 and following. And this is where it gets complicated. And this is where I tried to get someone else to preach it and they wouldn't do it. As in all the churches of the saints, that's the second part of verse 33, the women, and I'm from our previous study in chapter 11, and I'm gonna refer to that a lot, and you can go to our website and listen to the sermon on chapter 11. And I think it's very important that you do, especially if you are offended. Go listen to that sermon because I spent a very careful time wanting to very carefully explain we never want to devalue women. So with that in mind, the women or wives, I think it is properly interpreted, wives should keep silent in the church for they are not permitted to speak. They are not permitted. Paul's not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying you're not permitted. But in that church, apparently they were not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is a shameful for a woman to speak in the church. So what's going on? First of all, I think most of this is cultural. Now, why do you say that? Is that just convenient and it's a hard passage for us to apply? No, I mean, it, yes, it is hard, but no, it's not convenient. What you do when you come to a text is you must interpret that text in light of other texts. And what we know from chapter 11, do you remember what chapter 11 is? It was the, it was the area where Paul was saying, uh, wives, when you uncover your head or let your hair down, 
whether it was a veil or holding your hair up. But the way women or wives were doing their hair, they said, look, I'm free in Christ. This tradition that we're doing in this church, it's unnecessary. And so I'm letting my hair down. I can worship Jesus with my hair down. I'm free in Christ to do that. And Paul says, yeah, you are, but it's not helpful. He says, a cultural thing that you're doing is you're being more concerned about your freedoms than you are everybody else. Everybody's offended by that. And so you doing that is distracting everybody. So don't do that. And and don't be so concerned about your freedoms that you're ignoring respecting everybody else. Be more concerned about everybody else, even though technically, yeah, you're free to do that. But I bring that up to make this point. When Paul was addressing that issue, he said to them, when you pray and when you prophesy, ladies or wives, handle the hair issue this way. But we learn from chapter 11 that he apparently was okay with the women doing that in their gathering. So when we come to chapter 14, and it sounds like Paul's saying women must not speak, we go, okay, well, it can't mean simply that women can't speak because he's already said when you pray and when you prophesy, do it this way. And now he's saying, what is he saying? So when you come to a text, you have to interpret the text in light of other texts. And so we come to this knowing Paul, to the best of my understanding, Paul can't mean literally women can't speak in the church. So what does he mean? Well, it seems to me you go, context is king, which means you have to read the text in light of the whole paragraph, the whole chapter in light of the book, in light of your Bible. So what has Paul been doing since chapter 11 and chapter 14 since the beginning? Context says he's addressing disruptive issues. And so if he's addressing disruptive issues... In light of what we saw in chapter 11, he's probably addressing wives that are being disruptive in the way they're relating to their husbands, and that could be anything. But let's just say there's some people speaking in tongues over there, and a wife says to her husband, what are they saying? And he's like, I don't know. And they're like, well, I want to know what they're saying. I mean, if God's speaking, isn't that important we listen? She's like, I don't know. And they're having this argument. And he's just like, hey, look, look, listen, let's have order Let's have chaos. Talk about it at home. That's basically what we know with certainty. He's at least saying that. And if he's saying more than that, I don't know what he's saying. And so what we say is, well, how does this apply to us? Well, this said, I I made this point be respect. We should all show respect. And, And not just the women, but in their case, that was an issue that he particularly was addressing. And so we should all come to the gathering with respect, considering others' needs above our own. Now, before I apply that, I want to address one tangential issue. The question is, okay, so, Pastor, why do we have only male elders in our church? And I would say, they would say, is it because of this verse? No, it's not because of this verse. It's because the overall teaching of the scriptures, and this is where I'm going to ask you, go to chapter 11 again, And I spent an enormous amount of time saying God is pro-woman. Jesus was super pro-woman, revolutionary pro-woman. This church is pro-woman. I'm pro-woman. And I said, especially that woman. 
because I married that woman. And we should always be pro-woman. But now let me switch to a football analogy. Nick Saban says every championship game, every time they're asking him, I just tell them this, do your job. Each player on the team, just do your job. Don't do more than your job. Don't do less than your job. If each player on the team will just do your job, this will be a very powerful winning team. Why do we have male elders? Because we are convinced that the Bible says, here is the job of the elder. And in that job description, based on Genesis, based on other passages, we believe the Bible makes it clear that the role of the elder is to be a, is to be a male. Never should that be a dis, uh, dis, disrespecting of women. In fact, any time in scriptures when God gives authority, whether it's to a government, or whether it's to a husband, or whether it's to a, an elder, the condition is always said, you do it in chapter 13, love, and you do it the way the gospel says to do it, which was how did God use his authority? He used his authority to die, to lay down his rights, to lay down himself for the good and upbuilding of others. And so the elders have tremendous responsibility that they use whatever God-assigned role they have to lay down their lives to build up all the body of the church. So that's why we have that because we think the role is specifically designed and there are tremendously important roles for women in the church, but elder is specifically assigned to a male role. Having said that, how do we apply this condition of respect? Well, I think clearly in the church gathering, we, we come, if, if this gathering, whether it's this gathering or whether it's the small group gathering or whether it's the core class or the cohort, what is the most respectful thing you can do? If the gathering is about hearing and sharing what the Lord has said through his text, the respectful thing to do is to come prepared, having read the word, prayerfully reading the word of God, sitting and listening to what Jesus says to you through the text. When you come here, you will hear with much greater clarity. When you come to community group, you're not just spouting whatever opinion that just popped in your head the moment they said something, because I don't really want to hear that. That might be indigestion. It might be something off base. And so we don't gather together to get human advice. We gather to hear from God. And especially in the smaller settings, we gather to hear what God has said to everyone and we learn together. So it is disrespectful to come to those gatherings having not listened to God. And how many times have I done that? So to respect, to show respect is to come. It also, in our, in our small group covenant, we say... Respect means that we show up prepared, that we show up faithfully, and that we don't say anything that would embarrass our spouse. We talk about it beforehand, and, and we, don't, we don't bring our arguments. This may be what was going on here. We don't bring our arguments into the community group, and we start, rah, 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 
back and forth each other, and we disrupt the group. We don't dominate. If God has spoken to all of us, I am one-twelfth of that in a 12-person small group. And my contribution should be one-twelfth. So there's a word for both of us here. There's a word for people who are like me, who like to talk and who get paid to talk. That I need to be quiet some more. I need to share about one-twelfth. Because it's not about me. It's about what God has spoken. Now, I have a part in that. But there's also a word to the people that are not like me. They're the complete opposite me. They would rather people like me do all the talking because I don't want to say a word. I want to gently say to those people too, it's not about you. It's about what God has taught you. So if you've spent time in the word and God has taught you something, you need to be willing to share what God has shown you for the good of all of us. And so all of us can show respect by sharing what the Lord has taught us and by having spent time in the word so that the Lord actually is teaching us something before we show up to the group. So Paul calls us to respect. He says that is so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Verse 31. So we want to gather in an orderly manner so that there's peace and we want to show respect by having been, been in God's word, coming to hear what God is saying to all of us, through all of us, through his word. Finally, there's humility. He calls us to humility. Verse 36, he said, he gives us two rhetorical questions that really force us to be humble and say, no, no. Or was it from you that the word of God came? So come into group. He's asking you when you come to group. Before we get started, did the word of God originate in any one of you? No. Okay, let me be humble then. And secondly, are, are any of you the only ones that the word of God has reached? Does anyone ha- here have a special corner on the market? Is anyone here that before we gather and, and, and start to hear from the word, does anyone think that they've got a word that's better than the rest of us? No. The gospel says we're all in level playing field. So no one should come in here thinking they speak for God and they have an answer from God that no one else has. And so he says, let's be humble as we come together. Verse 37. So if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or that he is spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing you are a command from the Lord. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, you aren't writing the Bible. You don't speak for God. Everything that you think God said must answer to the Bible. That's what he's saying. He's saying, God inspired the scriptures. Jesus affirmed our Old Testament as the scriptures. Jesus commissioned the apostles and their close companions to write the scriptures. It's closed. You have an authoritative representation of God's word to us. That is the standard of measure. If anyone in our group or core class or in this pulpit or anywhere in this church says anything that contradicts the scriptures, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how easy, how comforting, if it contradicts the word of God, it's wrong. And so he says, that's the standard. And so what this means, something very important I've learned 
in my experience as a pastor is it is very important that interpretation of the scriptures is done in community. Let me tell you what happens when a person is passionate about God's word, but they're not passionate about community. They get outside of community and they spend enormous time, enormous energy studying the word of God, praying God speak to me, praying God show me something. And then they convince themselves that they've heard a word from God and it's weird. It's like, that's not from God. Yes, it is. God told me that is not consistent with the scriptures. I've had people come to me and say, God said this. And we as the elders address it and say, we're not in agreement that that's what God's word says. God said it to me. And I am suddenly in a position of to argue with this person is to argue with God. And you don't want to be in that place. So the context in which we study and hear from God is community. And community, when I'm writing a sermon, I have community in my room. You know why? Because I got Gordon Fee sitting right there in community with me. I got Tom Schreiner and what he wrote. I've got their books and I'm leaning on them and I'm discussing it with the staff. I have community. I'm not, I know this is disappointing. I'm sure you thought I came up with all this great stuff on my own. But I didn't. I have a great community of scholars and people that we work on this together so that I'm not coming up with some strange interpretation that's outside faithfulness with God's word. The same should happen with us. Before we come together, we should humble ourselves and learn from God's people and scholars and understand the word of God. And then when we come together, we should say, this is what God has said because I've measured it against the word of God. And then Paul says in verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, does not recognize that the Bible is the final word, then we don't recognize them. He said, if you got something to say and it disagrees with the word of God, okay, end of that discussion. Because God's word is final. He's not recognized. So, going on in, in verse 30. So, my brothers. Excuse me, my eyes are getting so bad I can't see my little references. My little... Verse 39. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. So, he starts off. He, he ends up where he started off saying, look, prophecy. What is prophecy? It's, thus saith the Lord, here's what God's word says. He says, so desire prophecy. And then he caveats, I'm not forbidding tongues, but prophecy is what this is most helpful. But all things should be done in a decent and orderly manner. So you see what Paul's saying is, look, for, for us to gather together, the most helpful thing is that we see Jesus and we hear from Jesus. And that's done best when we look at the word of God, we come and we have spent time in the word and we exalt Christ as seen in his scriptures. So let that be the focus so that everyone's built up. Let it be orderly, let it be respectful, let it be humble. Let us do that, let's meet together. So three practical implications to take home with you. Focus. Focusing on the word of God should always be our focus. Focus on the word of God daily. Focus on the word of God when we get together. 
And the implication then is number two, prepare. Spend time before you gather preparing for the gathering by listening to Jesus and studying his word. Prayerfully study the word. So focus on the word, prepare before you come, and finally, don't be a distraction. What does that mean? Well, it means behave in a way that doesn't distract anyone else from hearing what God is saying through his word. Whether it's how we treat our spouse in a small group, how we parent our children in the pew, how many times we get up and down during the service. Honestly, I'm not easily distracted. I had a friend tell me in the service, he says, please tell me you didn't hear my phone ring when you were talking about not being a distraction in the service. I said, I actually didn't hear it. And the sad thing is, or what we were laughing about this week was that I was like, should I say this? Because I'm not picking on anybody. I don't have anybody in mind. I actually don't see most of it. But the sad thing is the person who's very sensitive to this and is very careful and doesn't really need to hear me say that is going to hear me say it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I didn't mean to distract you. The person who might need to hear it because they're kind of oblivious won't hear it. So the point is just gauge yourself. Your heart, spirit, when you come in here, attitude should be, I don't want anyone thinking about me. I want them hearing the word, engaging, and, 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 and worshiping God as he's revealed in the scriptures. So focus, prepare before you come, and, and pray and work to not be a distraction because it's an incredible blessing to hear from God. Jesus has spoken, and when we grasp that, it should order the way we live. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you have spoken to us this morning through your word. Thank you that you give us the great gospel, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I pray that everyone who hears this now, everyone that may be in the annex or the coffee shop or everyone who is listening to it on our website will hear that good news, that word from you that All sinners are saved only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we all realize the great privilege it is to have the word from God. And may we order our lives. May we focus on your word. May we prepare before we gather by prayerfully, humbly sitting under your word and your instruction, depending on the spirit of God and on great scholarly works to to help us where we need it. But may we come prepared to share and learn what God has spoken to us. And we want all this so that we all may be instructed, all may be encouraged, that we may glorify you in our midst. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.